Before we jump into today's episode, I want to share with you the GBL conference. Dave chats a bit about this conference that he is putting on through University XP, and I encourage you to join all three of us, Dave, Terry, and I will all be at that conference, as well as some other amazing guests. You can go to gblconference.com to check out the guest lineup. There's over 30 speakers. Really, really awesome. I'm really excited for this. And if you do sign up, use BGE as a coupon code to save $20 off the conference, and you'll also help support our podcast. So again, gblconference.com. Dave will share a bit more about this conference in our discussion today. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. All right, so I'm here with Dave, a co-host with us this week, and I'm excited because we are going to listen into a conversation I had with Terry, and this is, I learned a lot from this because he talks about the differences, or at least from his experience and his perceptions between corporate world and game-based learning, gamification, and in education. So it was really cool to, to kind of reflect on that different lens and see what we can learn from each other. And I'm excited to be joined by Dave today because him, Terry, and I, and some of the other things and topics we talk about on this episode are all going to come together at the GBL conference. Dave, would you mind saying hi and sharing a little bit more about that conference? Sure. Hey, Dustin. Thanks for having me back on the show. So yeah, you, me, uh, Terry, and a few of our other colleagues are going to be presenting at the Game Space Learning Virtual Conference, which is happening April 16th through 18th, 2021. Uh, you can find out more information at gblconference.com. That's gblconference.com. And uh, the conference is really focused on using games, gamification, games-based learning, serious games for teaching, training, learning, and development. And this year's conference theme is how we can use games to foster a more connected and empathetic world, which we've gotten a lot of great uh, panel presentations and single presenter presentations that um, I've been going through because a lot of our content is pre-recorded, uh, and it's going to be great. I encourage as many people to attend as possible. Yeah, I'm excited, and I will be presenting there too as well and talking about uh, how to leverage game-based learning to create more empathetic and connected communities and in our classroom. So I'm super excited. I'm excited to see since this will be the the first one that University XP is hosting and see what kind of platforms you leverage. I know you're going to be using Mighty Network, so there's going to be some networking opportunities as well. So super excited for that. All right, well, let's get into the conversation with Terry and we'll be back to chat a little bit more. Welcome to another topical episode of Board Game with Education. I'm excited to be joined by Terry Pierce. Uh, we had a chance to get to know each other a little bit over, I guess, the pandemic is maybe when we first met online. Yeah. So Terry is a game-based learning designer, and he's going to talk to us today about the idea of game-based learning in the corporate sector. So I'm not very familiar with this, and I'm excited to kind of ask him some questions because you actually had a chance to take my course. I'm excited to hear how that compares to what, did, yeah. what you do in the corporate world, too. Um, but before we get there, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners? Yeah, sure, Justin. Thank you. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. Actually, it was taking your course that really made me think uh, even harder about the kind of differences and similarities with the the corporate 
and education sectors and 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 what we can kind of learn from each other um but yeah i uh so I've been in uh, learning and development uh, in kind of, I mean, they say corporate sector to generalize. I do a lot of work with local authorities, with councils and with NHS trusts. But, you know, it, a lot of that I find operates in a very similar way in practice. And so I've been, doing, been involved in that for about 20 years, first of all, working inside of organizations, uh, but then for the last 15 as a consultant. And then kind of moving over that time from uh, facilitating mostly to designing mostly. And I guess uh, I've always had a real deep part of me that's always been about games. Uh, so I think I played my first game of D&D at nine years old. I, I cajoled my uh, my mum, who, who I'd uh, you know snuck into the room while she was playing it with her friends. I cajoled her into letting me join in and kind of never looked back. Um, you know, I was in uh, chess club at school. I was the first kid on my street to get a ZX Spectrum. Uh, do you have ZX Spectrums in the U.S.? No, no, I, I so. guess it's just the next step on from like Atari consoles, like, you know, okay. um, so yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, huge board gaming and computer gaming, uh, habit, I guess, over the years. And I think because of all that, I just found myself really gravitating. And this is fairly similar to what I heard one of your other guests, Kim say on your show the other day, actually, but kind of gravitating towards bringing that stuff into what I was doing in, uh, my sessions that I was first of all running and then designing uh, just trying to, to bring games, game-like elements, uh, and just kind of make it more playful. Um, and I guess that the kind of playful element is really where I've, where I've come to more recently. Uh, and that's kind of uh, my, my, my consulting, my company now is Untold Play. Um, and the whole idea behind Untold Play is uh, that we probably give up the idea that play is useful and important far too easily. And we think that it's a kind of childish thing. Uh, and, you know, I want to try and bring that back into the workplace and the power of that back into the workplace a little bit, um, which is, again, you know, where I think uh, it's really interesting to look at what education is doing, because obviously when you're working perhaps with younger people who don't feel that way, then that's really interesting to me. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you mentioned that you wanted to kind of bring games into what you're doing. And I know in my my experience, I've learned a lot about just the learning process through game-based learning and gamification because I'm thinking through how these elements actually help with learning and how they help with building relationships, how they help with culture in my classrooms. Um, I also want to mention, so you played Dungeons and Dragons when you were nine years old. I think I mm. played when I was like 10 or 11 or 12, but I had no idea what I was doing. I kind of just took the book out and, <laughs> and did some stuff. And I think we just did it once because I think... Uh, you were DMing when you were that age. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really call it DMing. <laughs> I don't know. Like more like, I don't know. I, I growing up, I was always the the person that created experiences for my friends or family. Like I would, mm. we did like school, and I was always the teacher. Or we ran. A, I created a Jeopardy game, and I was the one that did, was the host or whatever. But yeah, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. That we never got into it at that age, but we did try it once. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, it would have been complex if it was only kids. I, I guess I got a, a kind of pass to the slightly more advanced things going on because my 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 mum was a was a fan. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Kind of were initiated into yeah, how to yeah. play. And that's <laughs> awesome. So I'm curious, uh, maybe just looking at it very broadly, what do you see as the differences between gamification or game based learning, both in uh, I guess corporate world slash organizations, um, professional lives versus in education and schools? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, I have to, to to say first of all that when I when I talk about the differences, I'm, I'm hoping through this conversation to learn even more from you about the the, the one side of that because you know that what I can say about the education side is is uh, you know just through through what I've seen fr- from from a slight distance, you know, uh, from talking to friends who are teachers, from uh, getting involved with in, and connected with people like you online um, and reading. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it as far as it seems to me springs out of uh kind of two things really i think the uh the differences um firstly just kind of silos and traditions that you know not not for any particular reason but just because the people who came before me or the people who came before you did things a certain way and then you just kind of do them in a similar way so someone knows how to use a particular app and therefore they use it or a particular resource or they do things a certain way so like in you know uh it could be uh like a tradition like in in uh learning and development, you know, the idea of icebreakers. And then there's this big tradition of, of icebreakers at the start of a training session, if it's a face-to-face workshop-based training session. And there's all these ones that are kind of passed down from trainer to trainer and have been around for years and years. So you've got, you've got things like that, I think, that are uh, you know just about, you know, who you associate with. Um, and then I think the other set of differences really are about probably about um, the kind of drivers and the environment. I think, you know, you've, if you think about things like uh, who do you answer to and who pays for it um, and who's it for, then I think, you, you know, you get these really different answers. You start to think, okay, and again, you know, correct me or, or it'd be interested to you, your perception on the education side of this, but I think you have, um, you know, the, that governance element where you've got regulators, so that's Ofsted in the UK, I'm sure there's, you know, federal or state equivalents in the US. Um, and then uh, the parents and what they feel about, you know, how people are being educated. Um, but then on the on the corporate side, you know, you've got uh, the pressure of ROI, you know, that and that's a very different pressure. It's not like better or worse necessarily, um, but it is different and it creates all this very different stuff. So, for instance, with ROI, I think one thing that really happens uh, in the corporate world is you can spend a lot of money, but only if you can justify it. You know, and you've mm. got to justify it. So there's, in a way, there's, uh, I think, a lot more flexibility to do things. And you know, there are games that I'm getting involved in. Now. There's a digital digital game that I'll probably talk a little bit more about because I'm really excited about being involved with it at the moment. Um, Evive, which is, uh, you know, in terms of its development costs and it being specifically made for corporates rather than a commercial thing that you've bought in, you know, it's it's not something I can imagine being developed very easily in the corporate sector in the education sector. Um, but, you know, it's been developed because uh, specifically for, you know, people who are going to say, yeah, I can see where the ROI is on that. And I can see that, uh, you know, it's going to do it's, it's going to get its value. Right. I think um, you mentioned a couple of things. The first thing you talked about was icebreakers. That's a big thing. Uh, I guess <laughs> contentious thing maybe in among teachers and admin is icebreakers can be done very poorly <laughs> in professional developments for teachers or very well. And I think the key is understanding why are you using this icebreaker? Um, what I've seen done well in some professional developments or even like um, teacher happy hours is we've done games and then we've talked about, well, how can these games actually be used in our classroom too? So it's not just a way to kind of build relationships, but it's also something that we can kind of take as a tool f- back to our classrooms yeah definitely if you can make it have a relevance and bring a learning point out of it or make a connection to the lesson plan as well as it's just being some fun i think that's really important yeah and i wonder so icebreakers for in your experience how 
how have you managed to see those work well in your case? Well, I think, yeah, when there is that, um, that kind of, uh, link to what you're doing, or you're able to draw on it later, I think also for me, they work quite well when, and this is something that, that, that again, works quite well in the corporate setting. Um, when they just push people a little tiny bit out of their comfort zone, but not too far. Um, I think, you know, if it's something that's really pedestrian and, and just, you know, asking people to talk about their favorite something or other, then, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, I mean, it can be fine, but, um, it's not really something that's going to kind of get people just sitting up and saying, Oh, this session is going to be really interesting and starting to get involved. And it's not going to draw on some of the principles of, of kind of games based learning that I think make it so powerful. But if I just give you a really quick example, um, which will spoil it for anyone else who's going to do it if they listen to it, but um, of one that I really love, it's uh, something called the resources game where you get people up, standing up out of their seats uh, and uh, you say, okay, so your job is um, that you have to make sure that your feet are not touching the floor when I count down from 10. So I'm going to count down from 10. When we hit 10, your feet are not going to be touching the floor. And all you've got to do with this, the, the only tool you've got for this is the tools that I'm going to give you. You can't use anything else apart from the resources that I'm going to give you. That means you can't use the chairs. And you really draw their attention away from any, anything else other than thinking about the resources. And then you give them these pieces of paper and you say, okay, the piece of paper is all the resource that you've got. And so they start to think, well, this sounds a bit easy. All we've got to do is stand on the paper, right? And you start counting down from 10 and they stand on the paper uh, and you say brilliant well done because you gave them enough paper that they could each stand on a piece and they say now we're going to do it again and you take away half the piece of paper and they're like, okay maybe we can do this and we tear it in half and maybe we have to kind of you know stand on, on, on each other's shoulders a little bit kind of balance each other and they say well done and you do it again and take away half again and you keep doing it until they're like this is impossible now what are we supposed to do build a human pyramid um, and at some point, hopefully the penny drops and somebody says, hang on, tell us what the objective was again. And you say, well, okay, the objective was you just got to make sure that your feet aren't touching the floor. Um, when I count down from 10, they're like, okay, so if we were to jump up in the air or to just sit on our bum and put the, our feet in the air, uh, you know, is that okay? Yeah, fine. <laughs> um, and then you can use that for all kinds of learning points in the, in the lesson about uh, lateral thinking, about, you know, being clear on your objective, all kinds of different things like that. Right. Um, so that's just a quick example. But, you know, bringing in game-like concepts um, in a way that I think does make people kind of just push them a little bit out of their comfort zone. Right. That's awesome. I, I wonder, too, uh, what came to my mind when I knew there was a hook or some reveal there. Your feet, you said. Does that also include your shoes? Can I, be, can I just be on my, in my shoes? I'm not technically standing on the floor with my feet i don't know yeah you have to really push it in terms of trying to to make them focus on the resources and how they're going to use the resources but yeah awesome another thing you mentioned is the roi which i'm i'm assuming is return on investment is that right yes sorry sorry no no that's okay i just want to make sure i know and anyone listening so that's really uh i guess interesting to maybe think about the differences between that for teachers in the classroom and in a different setting because for me i believe using games in the classroom the roi is very high but others may not see that initially because they see it maybe as wasting time but one thing that we talk about on this podcast all the time is the relationships that you're able to form with your students um and being able to also incorporate maybe some other learning aspects are a definite definite positive but even just playing a game at the beginning of class i think the roi is very high for those 
potential relationship builders with your students. And one thing that you might have to convince or some people you might have to convince are parents or administrators, right? So I wonder on your end, you mentioned ROI and that's, I'm assuming, maybe you can talk to what, where the, the, where it's evaluated from, what is a good return on investment versus a poor return on investment? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, cause, cause when you start to talk about ROI there, you're talking about very kind of, uh, soft kind of intangible benefits, which I think are, are huge. I, you know, I'm not going to argue against them any day of the week. I mean, there's, there's kind of two main scenarios that I, I, I have gotten involved in. One is being inside of the company and one is being outside as a consultant. But in either case, you know, there's costs involved. It's a little bit different from a school where you're going to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the kids are going to be there anyway. It's a question of how you use your time. Um, it's like, okay, you, you, you're paying for this person's salary, you're paying for all the materials, you're paying for people to be away from their jobs when they could be earning money for the organization, or if not earning money for the organization, if it's a hospital or whatever, when they could be providing services. Um, so it's justifying that in real money terms, which if it's a course on sales and the game you're doing is a sales game is pretty easy because, you know, you can say, okay, this is what the sales are going to increase by. But if it's a course on, you know, uh, teamwork or uh if it's something on you know um trying to uh manage people in a more human way rather than you know and 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 some of those things can be really difficult to to measure but you can't just say to people look bring me in let me run this game to train your people i i promise you it will work you know you have to to show some kind of evidence and there's this whole kind of thing that's grown up around that around evaluation methods and trying to nail down uh exactly what kind of benefits you're getting from the time and money and resources spent yeah it's i guess um it's tough i think looking at it in education too is we do we can look at games and the roi on return on investment i'm not not used to using that term in education so it's funny um but looking at how our students might perform on tests based on a game-based learning curriculum or yeah. another curriculum, right? We could look at some more measurable outcomes. Yeah, and you're going to be you're going to have to justify in terms of your grades. If your people don't get their grades, then you're going to have to answer for that, right? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, I wonder maybe we could kind of explore this topic together. Is what are some things that might be detrimental to education that work well in or outside of education or vice versa? What are some things that maybe work well in education that might not work so well outside of education? Yeah. And again, uh, this is kind of just based on what I uh, perceive to some extent, but um, I mean, well, I did chat to just, just as slight prep for this chat to a friend of mine who's a teacher in the UK. And again, that's another thing that might color things. You know, I might have a perception of education in the UK that may or may not be the same for, for other countries. She talked about teachers not always being great at and educators as well. And, and I think this might well be true if I'm thinking of some of the university scenarios that got involved in as well not always being great at sharing resources and expertise with each other which i think corporate training can be quite varied on that but i think once you get in in the consulting arm of it i think once you get past people worrying about competition with each other which 
if you get involved in any kind of communities or kind of networking type things, then actually that you get past that pretty quickly because you realize that, you know, you can gain a lot more from sharing with people, I think. I mean, in a way, you know, obviously I can see that you do that. You share really well and you're involved in, you know, some of the communities that I get involved with that do involve educators definitely do that. But I wonder if it's true of the wider education community. Um, yeah, I would say that what's tough for education with game-based learning and gamification is it's a very new well, it's it's not new. We've been using games in education forever, but what's new is the ideas of using game-based learning in an appropriate way or an effective way. And especially mm. what which is my kind of expertise is board games. Those are very not it's not not a popular thing. It's not mainstream at all, and it's something that we're kind of pushing for is how can we how can we get more teachers playing more games, playing more board games, and then thinking about these game mechanics and these ideas and bringing them into their classroom too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I guess that, that that kind of goes back to what I was thinking about those kind of silos, you know, because you've just done things a certain way. It's tradition, really. And then maybe there's a tradition there, you know, you're having to fight to some extent against that uh, kind of tr- very traditional idea of education, you know, as just kind of regurgitation uh, or something like that. Which, you know, I guess corporate training does have to do that as well. But because it's so driven by that kind of trying to show value for money, people perhaps have a little bit more license sometimes to try and find creative ways to do that. You know, you're not going to get slapped down if you can show that your creative, wacky idea actually does work. Right, right. Which I'd imagine is a little bit harder to show sometimes with grades or people might still look askance if they, you know, there's that, there's that slight kind of uh, meme that I see in, in uh, movies about education where you've got the, you know, like the Robin Williams in uh, Dead Poets Society type character where, you know, the, the other teachers look in as they're going past and say, what exactly is going on in that classroom? You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Is that just, is that just a trope? Or? Right. No, I think um, what's interesting is, and it, it just depends. I think different teaching styles, different teaching personalities. And something that Roger, he's helping me with board gaming, with education, he's been on the show a couple of times, is we talk about the noise mm. level in the classroom. And knowing the difference between a good high level of noise because they're learning and they're excited about learning and they're engaged with learning versus a maybe not so good high level of noise where they're off topic and they're chatting. And how we want that good noise level in our classrooms. Like that's our teaching style. Um, where other teachers yeah, yeah. may not <laughs> may not really write like yeah. that way. <laughs> I think that uh and part part of the kind of corporate money marketplace type element of corporate training means that there are a lot of games out there that are developed. A little bit like I was talking about with the the so this game I'm involved with, uh Evive, which is a kind of digital game. Uh, that uh, specifically kind of created, not by me, but I'm one of the facilitators involved with it. Um, so uh, to to as a leadership game and a decision-making game, and it's, you know, there's a lot of work gone into the development of it, almost as much as you might with a commercial game. Um, and then you get these kind of boxed games for use in the classroom that are specifically kind of created for it. So I hear a lot on your podcast and in your circles about, you know, adapting games that are commercial games just kind of for fun, but then seeing what learning you can get out of them, which is great. But there's these games, uh, you know, that are designed specifically for learning and for, uh, you know, 
productivity learning or for uh, communication learning or whatever. Um, and that, that, you know, that there's this marketplace for them and trainers and training companies buy them in sometimes at pretty huge expense. And that's a whole kind of part of the, the silo or the, the tradition uh, on that side. And I wonder if you've got that tradition and whether or not having that, um, you know, is, is, is missing something, I guess. Yeah, I would say uh, <laughs> I'm definitely jealous of the the market at play there because there's like there's money right pushing those ideas out there. Yeah. Where in education, there's not a lot of money in gamification and game based learning. There's been some platforms. Uh, some people are maybe familiar with Classcraft. It's a gamification overlay for your classroom management. And there are or uh, Class Dojo is very similar. Kahoot quizzes. These are all. Uh, resources teachers are very familiar with but um i don't know i don't they they worked well because they worked well in the classroom it wasn't the money first we need this it was this is working well so let's continue pushing for this so let's spread it among our colleagues like i use this tool in the class you should try it out and because of that popularity it grows um i don't know i feel like maybe you were saying that there's an idea in a sense that we need this. So we're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, which is great. I, I think there is some stuff that goes on in the education, in the education sector that I'm jealous of. So for instance, um, I recently started talking to an organization who has a kind of uh, program that's very similar to Minecraft that they want to use in corporate training. But the reason that they're having to use that and we're having to explore those avenues is because Minecraft Education exists, Edition, which is mind-blowing, which is amazing, um, is locked down for education. So if you're not working with an education institution, you can't use it. Yeah, yeah. It's I haven't, I've helped one student in an after-school program that his math teacher assigned homework with Minecraft. And I think that was before there was an education version. It was just when it was still just growing in popularity. And they were looking at like dimensions. So he had to go on Minecraft and build a like four by four box and do a couple other math related things. But yeah, yeah, I think um, that's definitely because I think a lot of it's because it's a way to connect with our students through what they are interested in. And a lot of times that's entertainment based games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think, um, yeah, you know, I think it is good. uh, What I do see you and the uh, educators do which is to look around and see what is available and try and use it in a way that will you know that gets something really good out of it for the outcomes you're looking for for uh, for the for the classroom definitely right i want to ask too if someone was an educator and they want to learn something from what you're doing and they want to be able to maybe kind of start thinking about what you do with gamification game based learning outside of the classroom what are some places you might direct them to or some tips you might give them yeah definitely um i think that's another place where there's that kind of silo and tradition thing going on that that means that you just kind of look at what's there and again i don't really know all of the uh, education references i mean you know we do uh, you know people i associate with who are corporate trainers do know about bloom and we do use bloom for instance but i get the impression the education sector really really uses bloom a lot more bloom taxonomy and so on um and i think there's a whole bunch of stuff outside of um outside in the corporate sector, I don't get the impression people do really know so much about in the education sector. Stuff like, um, I know you mentioned on one of your previous episodes, uh, Yukai Chow and Octalysis, um, who, you know, I'm huge fans of. And I think 
some people look at that just as a gamification tool, the alternatives framework, but actually it was developed from um, examining games. So I think it can also be used really nicely for examining the motivations for games and how you can build them into anything you're doing. Similarly with, uh, do you know Jesse Shell, The Art of Lenses? So Jesse Shell is a, a, a game designer. He's actually a kind of... Uh, kind of largely digital, uh, does some of the games uh, using digital resources for Disneyland and all kinds of, you know, massive stuff. Um, but, you know, people I know in who are doing games-based stuff in the corporate sector know and have read people, uh, stuff like his work and also Carl Cap. Carl Cap is great for uh, both, actually, gamification and games-based learning. He's got a, um, a great book, which I'm going to just have to look at my bookshelf to remember the title of. Play to Learn, Carl Cap has a great book called Play to Learn about designing learning-based games. Uh, and Jesse Shell's book, uh, uh, The Art of Lenses, is really, really good, as well as uh, Yukai Chow's work, which a lot of it's available via his website um, and his book. So I think there's a lot of kind of authors and sources like that. Um, there's a great website, actually, as well, uh, by, and I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, but um, Andrew Marchewski uh, and... Uh, he we can we can spell it right in the in the um, in the notes has a deck of cards but and also lays it out as a periodic table of game elements and you can actually start to move these elements about and just think about them and kind of say okay where are these in my game uh, and how can I kind of change them around or put more of them in there or switch things up so I found that a really good tool that's really cool I'm I I try to design games for fun but I'm recently i haven't had a lot of time <laughs> i got a board game design calendar recently too and i'm hoping to to set some yearly goals for that but um you did mention one thing uh that i think i like to share a lot is you mentioned you kai chow and gamification how he classifies everything and as teachers and educators we're doing a lot of those things already we just don't realize it's gamification and i guess it can be called something else right um, one example is I know a lot of schools that do this, the school that I was at recently or last had universities. So each homeroom was a university and they were all universities based in the Los Angeles area. So like UCLA, um, USC, uh, Pepperdine, and I can't think of the last one. But anyways, um, and they would score points based on different challenges throughout the year. So bring a certain number of canned goods in and you your university scores this many points dress up the best for pride week and your university scores this many points and that's a type of gamification right the university is competing against each other to build culture within the class or within this whole school um but yeah i think that's awesome uh terry do you have any last words maybe to share before we head into the game i think just going back to what i was saying about uh the kind of corporate games that are out there that are kind of designed for that corporate market similar to, to what, I, what I try to do with the education market I look around and I look at apps like Spiral and Pear Deck and I look at Minecraft even though I can't fully access it but I look at some of the alternatives that are similar to it and I try and say okay you know uh, try and cross that bridge and say how can I adapt and use those and you know some of those things might look as if they're designed for a slightly different audience but that's sometimes okay depending on the on the group that I'm using it with um, and I think, you know, I would probably just encourage people to, to do that on both sides, you know. So I think if you're looking at some of those games, they're kind of sometimes priced for the corporate market, but sometimes not. And if you're talking about, you know, buying a resource that um, 
might you know you might be able to pull money on or you might be able to justify how it's going to help the education process then you know i wouldn't close my my doors to that i would say uh to look at all the different things that are available across that divide right and i don't know maybe you would be able to speak to this but it doesn't hurt reaching out as an educator to some of these um organizations because they're probably going to be very happy to say that they're able to assist in education and happy to share some of these tools i, I mean obviously not all of them but definitely some out yeah i think I think there's a great call, especially now, actually. I think there's been a bit of a trend during the pandemic, actually, for people to start to just offer things to help uh, with difficult situations. And particularly, you know, because they need to uh, get some traction if they themselves are struggling. Um, so, you know, I think that helps that kind of profile building and and, uh, and getting a good name for yourself and, and helping out, uh, you know, uh, the public causes. Right. So Terry, just stick around for just a moment and we'll be back with our game. And we're back. Dave, what were some things that kind of really stood out to you in that conversation I had with Terry? So I think Terry and I have a lot of the similar characteristics growing up. Like we both played a lot of games growing up, a lot of video games, a lot of computer games. I guess Terry played more D&D than I did. I wasn't really into role-playing in D&D games. Um, but uh, games have kind of been a part of our own like personal history. Uh, personally, though, I think that um, the, the work that Terry is doing is similar to what I'm doing right now because we're looking at games as applications for learning in both like you know school environments as well as corporations and there is really that big pressure of the return on investment whenever using games uh, specifically in a corporate environment schools are a little bit different uh, depending on who you're working with particularly the administrators for trying to demonstrate like the effectiveness and efficacy of games but in a corporate environment um, the return on investment the roi is a big factor in whether or not you can use games and if you can use games the extent to which they're used for learning and development right and in that something i mentioned roi is it just sounds so strange when i use that drop that term in education it just i don't know it has a weird ring to it um so in your experience and based on that conversation what are some things that you've seen work well to kind of leverage that ROI either in the corporate world or in the classroom? Like, do you have any advice that you might give a teacher if they're confronted with an admin about, okay, well, yeah, sure, you can use this game in your classroom, but can you demonstrate or share with us some reasons why it might be worth doing in the class? Yeah. So uh, one of them, and I've talked about this before, is using uh, already made games. And this is something that I studied in my dissertation before for COTS, which is, stands for C-O-T-S, Commercially Available Off-the-Shelf Games. So this is not creating your own game. It's not developing your own simulation. It's using existing games right now that are available that you can buy in any retail environment uh, and use it for teaching, training, learning, and development. And that is really the heart of what game-based learning is. It's using games as the center for your learning experience. I know that you, Dustin, you, you do a lot of this right now with your current stock of board games. So I think any educator uh, would do well by looking at what you have to offer on the site right now. Um, but in addition to that, you don't always have to use tabletop games. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, and another person who's presenting at the conference, uh, Dr. Chris Stewart, uh, he wrote his dissertation on Minecraft and how he used it for education. 
Uh, and I shared a link with you that talks about his particular study and how we use Minecraft for teaching and learning. But the main takeaway I want to give your audience is that you don't have to use tabletop games that are commercially available and off the shelf. You can use video games. And Dr. Stewart used this in Minecraft for Education. So I recommend your audience check out those uh, resources that are in the description. Yeah, that's super awesome. I like you mentioned, I my background is using tabletop games. And mainly that stems from my experience teaching language and the social aspect of tabletop games really kind of leaning into that and then kind of branching out into now other content areas and really leveraging mechanics in tabletop games. So I'm excited to learn more about Minecraft. And I know we the question I asked is can be answered with probably just education.minecraft.net. The fact that there's loads of resources on how Minecraft has been leveraged effectively for education. Awesome. So anything else to chat about before we head into our game? Yeah, I think one of the other things that Terry brought up before is a lot of corporate education is very much based on like compliance-based training, which is just that you have watched a particular video or you've taken a particular course or read something and that qualifies you to comply to whatever policy that they have. But you, we can see that this is kind of an ineffective strategy for education and teaching because you don't really develop anything. You don't really change your viewpoint or really have something that is actionable or knowledgeable at the very end. You've just kind of like tick the box. And uh, like, while I would like to say that um, primary education or secondary education or higher education is different, uh, sometimes a lot of what teachers do is that box ticking, you know, just making sure that students have received, um, received content that is on the curriculum. That's not to say that that is something that they um, want to do, but sometimes that they have to do. So I always rely on my interpretation of what learning is, which is learning is the transformation of experience into knowledge. And while it may be required of you to do some of these box ticking activities to really think about it, like if you're an educator or trainer, how learning is reflected in your own practice. Again, my definition that I use, like to use for learning is the transformation of experience into knowledge and asking yourself, you know, how is the course that I'm teaching, or how is the class that I'm teaching, helping my students transform this experience into knowledge that they can use? Right, I think that's a really good point. And that, I don't know, one thing that, that I've kind of experienced, and I think a lot of educators and teachers and, I mean, even admin and all across the spectrum of education probably have, has seen a lot of things in education that we need to change because of this pandemic and really hoping that those uh, box checking things are maybe not so important moving forward um, when we kind of really go back into the classroom and take some things that worked well from the pandemic and still apply them in the future. Awesome, so we're gonna head into our game and this has kind of been a theme recently, this game. We're gonna play Wits and Wagers. And this adapted by Wits and Wagers, the board game from Northstar Games. And essentially, I'm going to give you a question, and it's you're going to have to give me a numerical response. And if you are closer than the co-host, you score a point. And then I'm going to give you three more numerical responses, and you'll have to choose your response or one of these three as closer. And if you choose your own, you are doubling down on your own, so you'll get two more points. If you choose one that is not your own, you'll just get one more point if those are the closest or if the one you choose is the closest. Here's the question. 
What is the largest number of different words spoken by one bird during its lifetime? Mm. Um, let's see. Based on, th- on what I, I know about trivia, I would have to say it is like a toucan or a parrot or something like that. And the number of words that I think it has spoken in its lifetime, I'm going to estimate at 350. All right. So 350. Let's listen to Terry's answer. Let's I guess it's I guess it's pretty high. I'm I know there's a couple of birds I can't remember what they are called the species, but I'm saying that they're, they're pretty. Uh, they they learn a lot of different words. I'm sure it's in the hundreds. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, four hundred and sixty-two. Four hundred and sixty-two. Mm, All right. Okay. So, and you said three fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you you got three fifty. He's got four sixty-two. Mm. Here are three other numbers you can choose to switch to. Mm-hmm. A 400, 15, or 89. Or you can double down on your number. I am going to double down on my number. All right, let's listen to Terry's answer. It does scare me that I'm the highest, but <laughs> um, I think for the sake of 62, I'm going to gonna try and double down. All right, so you double down. So the so- answer is 800. So looks wow. like Terry doubled down to you. And that's kind of <laughs> kind of how that maybe we need to figure out how to switch that that rule and if we go into season twelve because <laughs> you have no option to kind of go higher, right? You're yeah, kind of stuck no, with not three fifty as the highest. That case. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well well we, we play test and prototype and <laughs> figure out what works <laughs> and what doesn't. So that's true. Cool. Dave, thank you so much. And if you mind just sharing one last time the conference, because that's coming up and this will probably be one of the last episodes that we put out maybe before the conference comes out, we'll have another episode for season 12, maybe the week of the conference. So Mm -hmm. again, can you share a little bit about where to go and how to sign up? Sure. So again, the Gamespace Learning Virtual Conference, it's co-hosted by me at University XP, Dave Eng, and also the Gamespace Learning Alliance. It's happening April 16 through 18, 2021. And this is the premier professional event for designers, educators, entrepreneurs, and instructors using games and Gamespace Learning for teaching, training, learning, and development. It's happening again the weekend of April 16 through 18, 2021 you can register and find out all of the confirmed speakers which are over 30 of them uh, at the website gblconference.com again that website is and you'll have to put in the www it's www.gblconference.com that's gbl gamespace learning conference.com awesome so thank you again dave and if anybody want to reach you where would they go Sure. Thanks, Dustin. So the best place to reach me at is via the website. I'm at universityxp.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at Dave Ang Design. That's D-A-V-E-N-G design.com. And you can also follow University XP on Twitter. That's university underscore XP. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you, Dustin. Terry, thank you again for coming on the show and chatting. I learned a bunch about the corporate world and it was a good chat. Would you mind sharing with our listeners where they can find you or if you're working on anything? Yeah, absolutely. And likewise, you know, I really enjoyed coming on the show and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the main way probably to get a hold of me is via my website uh, where you can sign up for my mailing list, which would be uh, awesome. I would love for people to uh, just get updated on what I'm doing. 
I'll tell you a couple of those things now, but that's the, the easiest way to just keep up with it. Uh, with it, or uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I know LinkedIn is is more of a corporate thing than an education thing, probably, but um, I, you know I'm I'm quite active on there. Um, so my website is untoldplay.com, um, and uh, I'm Terry Pierce on LinkedIn. Um, and you know if you get on that mailing list, then you'll find out about some of the products that I've got in the pipeline. So uh, I'm looking to. Uh, particularly release a couple of decks of cards uh, that I think could be really useful for designers and game designers uh, soon. Um, I write a lot for Ludogogy magazine, who I know, uh, you know, Sarah, who runs that. Uh, so uh, I've got more collaboration with them uh, coming up. Um, and I've just found out actually that I'm going to be speaking at the Playful Creative Summit in April, uh, organized by Elia Sandoval, which I'm really um really excited about so uh, there'll be more details on, of that on my website and uh, on the mailing list as well so uh, that's a couple of things that are going on there's, there's lots of different things it's quite piecemeal uh kind of some of the work that i do is, is this project and that project and the other project but um i'm excited about a lot of them awesome thank you so much for coming on no worries thank you That's a wrap. That wraps up season 11 of our Board Game with Education podcast. We got to 133 episodes. It's crazy. We started this journey about four years ago and we're moving into season 12. So if you want to keep up with us between seasons, be sure to sign up for our newsletter, boardgamewitheducation.com. It's about the second thing on our homepage, or you can go to boardgamewitheducation.com backslash podcast dash community. And you'll be able to sign up and keep up to date with everything that's going on between now and season 12. We'll be back with season 12 on YouTube. You'll be able to watch our video cast episodes as well as listen to our video cast episodes where you normally get your podcast, whether that's on iTunes or Castbox or whatever app you use. You'll be able to find it there as well. But I recommend subscribing to our YouTube channel because we will be releasing other content on YouTube along with our normally scheduled Monday podcast releases so again boardgamewitheducation.com for our newsletter and as always thank you so much for listening to our podcast and teach better learn more and definitely play some more games recently we just played parks really really love that game very beautiful game we played it last about a year ago right before the pandemic so had a chance to play it and i'm excited to hopefully get on some real hikes here soon too so until next time Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.